This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three wonderful people. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, and 36 Dingo. It is also made possible by all of my Patreons. And if you want to become a patron, www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And I am back here with Nathan Isaac of the Penny Royal Podcast. Thanks for having me back on, man. I'm super excited to talk again. And uh, we definitely talk way too much about stuff before we do the show. <laughs> it's a fantastic discussion, though. It's, like, it's, wide-ranging topics. It's, it's all the secret stuff. That's right. <laughs> it's, the, it's the stuff that would get us in trouble if people knew about it. And the answers to everything. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So when you started this season of Penny Royal, uh, you were talking about True Detective and like this roadway thing, like this secret sort of thing going on with the roadways. And do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, I love, you know, I love talking about that. Um, when I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of True Detective. And um, when the creator of True Detective was, this was an interview when he was, um, Someone had asked him about the second season. You know, first season was fantastic. Um, they asked him what he was working on for the second season, and he mentioned that it was that it was going to be about the uh, occult history of the U.S. transportation system. And I was like, "Oh man, that sounds fantastic!" Then, then, the, then the second season came out, and it wasn't really about that. <laughs> yeah, I never watched the second season because it got. It's, it, people told me, uh, "Don't even bother. The second season isn't that good." Yeah, it, it's it's okay, you know. Um, I mean, I I enjoyed all three seasons of True, you know, True Detective. Wait, there were three. The fir- yeah, there's a third season too. Oh, I didn't even yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, I I really, you know, the first season is just amazing, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I think he was always chasing. You know, I think the first season it took him like ten years to write that, and then. It was like within two years he needed to produce another season, and so you know it didn't have the same amount of time and focus in it. But um, but anyway, but you know it was all right. The second season was okay, but it wasn't about the occult history of the U.S. transportation system. There was some road stuff in there, some stuff about uh, Southern California. But anyway, but I well, thought, man, he even as good as the first season was, I wanted more King and Yellow. Yes, yeah, yes. Well, you know they could have continued that storyline and and gone deeper yeah, right yeah um and they and i guess he just wanted to change it up or i don't know i don't know what he was thinking but ultimately it wasn't as i think occult based as it could have been but he you know when i when i read that interview uh with nick pizzolato um the creator when i read that interview i, I thought you know for him to say that he must have had a huge amount of research about the occult history of the U.S. transportation system, so I thought if he if if the second season of True Detective is not about that, then I'm going to educate myself along those lines because I am very curious as to what what he would have been referring to. Yeah, and uh, and so anyway, that you know I'd done a lot of research on uh, Route 66, 
Um, there are a lot of connections to the Freemasons, and and I definitely don't think that the Freemasons are behind. You know, there's any large conspiracy that the free, you know, the Freemasons are controlling the world or right, something. Right, right. But but definitely, when you look at um, Freemasons as a secret society and as a political entity, especially the fact that a lot of the road commissions in America were. Uh, you know the the guys that were running that because they'd been appointed because of political favor. Um, they were in those positions of power. They were putting their friends in other positions of power. If these guys knew that a road was going to go a certain way, then they'd say, "Hey, man, buy up the property in this place. You know, and, and, and we're going to connect it to, and we're going to make a lot of money." And so those discussions to make those plans definitely happened in these secret fraternal groups you sure. know, that were you know mainly you know white men you know wealthy white men um so but i started looking into that but there's just a a, a whole lot of fascinating lore and history of roads in america I, I you know one of my passions to research is uh james shelby downer jr um uh, which i don't know if we talked about that on i can't remember if we talked about that the last time but i don't remember um, um but if for anyone who is catching this and unfamiliar with James Shelby Downer Jr., he's the sort of the arch conspiracy theorist um, in America, and and kind of comes out of the uh, 1960s and 1970s, uh, and it's tied into uh, you know Jim Brandon, William Grimstead. There's a a whole lot of weird stuff with Nazis, fascists, and things like that. But Downard, the the mythos behind Downard was that he was this. Uh, this researcher um, who was wear, always wearing a suit, and he had a Colt 45 on his side, and he drove this uh, Airstream trailer across America visiting all these occult sites. And he was definitely down in the southwest a lot, uh, along the 33rd degree uh, of latitude. And the story he always told was that he was uh, being persecuted and chased by these Freemasons. And so he also is sort of this motif of uh, the atomic cowboy, right, in, in post-World War II America. Um, now, a lot of it is probably invented by William Grimstead and by uh, Michael Hoffman. Again, two very controversial uh, characters. But there's a big connection be- between the real-life Downer, because there really was a James Shelby Downer Jr., but then there's this sort of mythological literary figure that's been created by these um, other parties for various purposes. Um, but the original guy, his father paved most of the roads in the Midwest. And so there's this heavy element of mysticism and occultism and alchemy that ties into at the creation of asphalt in America and the laying of roads. And in many ways, the laying of roads along ley lines and the creation of sort of a, a mystical network of roads. And so anyway, that that was really what I was really trying to research and trying to suss out. And I thought that it was a fantastic motif for the second season to sort of wrap the narrative around because, you know, here in, in Pulaski County, here, here in Somerset, uh, Hal Rogers, Senator Hal Rogers, who's, Actually, the oldest—I um, think he's the oldest GOP senator um, alive today. He's the senior GOP uh, member because he's the oldest, 
and he is on the House Appropriations Committee. So he's able to get all kinds of money for whatever project he wants. So he built a road here in Pulaski County. He got, I think it was $20 million for it. Um, uh, and he built 800 feet of the road. And he convinced everyone that this uh, Interstate 66, I-66, was actually part of Route 66, the mother road, right? Mm-hmm. And. I thought, man, it's so crazy that this guy was able to get $20 million by making people believe that this was connected to the golden age of America. And um, and so that that was a, a big jumping off point to, to tie that malfeasance, that local malfeasance, in with the history of Route 66 and why Route 66 is such a mystical road and how it's tied into the, uh, you know, <laughs> the national consciousness. And so that that was really the I, I wanted to talk about roads as paths, you know, the journeys, um, paths to initiation, and and just this this general idea of roads as a means of change, because it felt like after the first season, everything that we were researching, and the deeper that we sort of got into the penny roll of mystery, and the more that we found, it felt like a journey of sorts. It felt like that we were on. A road of some sort, and so I really wanted to to tie that into this theme of roads, but also real roads and and the occult history of roads. Yeah, and that's, I mean, just the idea that there's an occult history of roads is weird to me. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> it's like they're they're just roads. What what, what could be occult history? What kind of occult history could there be? But but you know when you when you, you know the guests on the second season season of Penroll talk about this, and and that I really enjoyed. Everyone I talked to uh, for the second season, I, I asked them questions about roads and their ideas about roads and paths to uh, to initiation, and and also just the lore of the road, um, because there's all kinds of you know older concepts. Uh, Josh Cutchins talks about, and a lot of the guests actually mention uh, corpse roads, right? And then oh, yeah. uh, ferry paths, and and so you know crossroads and all of these things, but. Um, Kiki Dombrowski, uh, who's fantastic, she um, she brought up you know this idea that uh, and it, that when you're on the road, you're driving, and sometimes you'll you know you you kind of zone out, and then you you see a UFO on this back road, or you take you take a road that you did, you've never taken before, you don't know why, and that's when you encounter the other, right? Yes, yeah, so um, that's happened and, to me before. Oh, yeah, see, and and, the, and so I think you know there's something to the this idea of what is a road and how is a road, um, how does it correlate with mystical experiences? Yeah, there's this podcast called "Where Did the Road Go?" <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> what? <laughs> but to me, I also to me that that's sort of like okay, let's find let's find the new paths. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. yeah. I think you know we we we've been studying this stuff for you know a century. Now we need to find the new paths we haven't been down before. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's well, still a concept of roads. Yeah, it's still still paths and roads. I think what is it? American Gods, um, Neil Gaiman's series. Yeah, deals with the back roads of America, sort of as as these sort of mystical. Uh, mystical pathways, but but you know in in a a, a bigger 
I guess, uh, way that this idea communicates itself through the Penny Royal story is this idea of, again, I, you know, I've talked about it all the time, probably sound like a broken record, but the, the idea of second order cybernetics, right? Yeah. And that roads in many ways, you know, are paths of communicate of information, you know, as, as roads grew across America, um, it allowed for the, flow of information and the more that information is flowing the more complex the systems become and uh the more that there are feedback loops and all of these things and so you can really see the spread of roads across america as sort of this um neural network that's that's forming and there's a lot of just in the same way in, in the human brain or and and arguably in in ai that it's the spaces in between the roads where a lot of the magic happens because yeah. those are the 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 unmapped areas yeah. and and I think that's also a great way to look at what a road is what a path is and what it means to go off like you, you know, like you said where did the road go yeah. you know and it's like when you get off the road when you go off of the path what is it that you're going to encounter you know yeah very true and when you're talking second-order uh, cybernetics, you're talking about stuff that is altered because of a feedback loop. So it puts stuff out there, and then when it comes back, it changes based on its perception of what it put out there the first time and how it responds. Yeah, yeah. And and think about that. I mean, that that's what synchronicity is in a way, you know? Um, I, I, I had suggested that synchronicity is the universe's... Uh, Ad algorithm. Oh, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. I love that. I love that analogy. To, you know, I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, I mean, synchronicity, it is a strange thing. I think it's definitely part of, you know, uh, the phenomena. You know, when you look at John Keel's writings and oh, yeah. all of his research, um, and so many other people too, but definitely it's just like the fabric of of weirdness that is whatever this is, Um it you know it seems like synchronicities are almost a a building block or you know like the atom in a sense you know yeah yeah, yeah. and it and it's I think there's different styles of synchronicity too you know when Jung first uh, coined the term that synchronicity that happened in his office was something that like completely like moved that person, you know, like that, that shifted their, their consciousness. Whereas a lot of synchronicities are, are sort of these little ones where you notice them, but they're not causing any massive shift of your consciousness. Yeah. 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 And so yeah, that's no, go ahead. No, so that's totally true. You know, and it's, it's, um, I guess, it, <laughs> I guess that's the thing too. It's like, we, you probably have, thousands of little synchronicities every day right you just don't pay them any mind yeah. you know they're just you're filtering those things out and um and it is curious to think about the big ones right the ones that do cause those shifts it's it's because it is the it's it's that second order cybernetics idea where it's like suddenly you're aware of an awareness of a, of the system Right. And and when and when that happens, it like it shakes you out of your your perception because I think people forget that that they're observers, right? I think people they get so used to this idea of I, right? And it's and it becomes a closed system 
and they forget that they're observing and, and the act of observing creates this this loop outside of themselves um, and and an interconnectedness you know that's that's outside of yourself um, and I think that's part of it you know I think I think understanding that and seeing that is a is a part of all of this the uh one of the other analogies i've tried to use for for synchronicities is almost like you're playing a a video game so your higher self is in control and it's saying um like okay i need my character which is us here to do this but you can't directly control it yeah so You're, you're nudging that character, and it's like, ooh, I'm going to show the character this synchronicity over and over again until it goes where I want it to go. Oh, that's that's great, too. What's well, kind of that that's, um, sounds like the whole concept of the daemon, yes. right? Yeah. And or the oversoul or the, you know, the, I always wonder, too, if <laughs> is that the holy guardian angel you right. know, that's talked about in magic? That, that yeah, you're really well, just talking about that higher self that, that is watching the video game played out, you know, well, sort of slightly above and behind the, the moving character. And, and Crowley always said the Holy garden, the angel is your higher self. I mean, so <laughs> yep. that, yep. that is the, uh, that, yeah, I mean, it very well could be, you can't influence it directly, but you can use dreams and synchronicities. And I mean, I can imagine someone making this game, you know? Yeah. 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 You have to guide your character, but you can't directly control them. It's almost like the um, the prime directive in yeah. Star Trek, right? But spiritually, where it's like you can see yourself, but you can't influence yourself directly. Right, right. right. It has to be done through um, other means, you know. Subtlety. Subtlety, yeah. And, and Co- cosmic subtleties. And sometimes your character, you know, on the easy level, your character pays attention. On the hard level, your your character is a, a diehard materialist and ignores all of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> That's great. And you're like, come on, come on, just, oh, God, really? <laughs> you're going to dismiss that too? <laughs> right. It's like, no, 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 go back, go back. <laughs> uh, that's funny, dude. No, I think that's a, that's a really good analogy, uh, for this, and you also wonder in terms of um, the third man effect, right? That's often reported. Oh yeah, uh, that's yeah. that somebody's saved uh, by this unseen. You know, this this person comes out of nowhere where they're dying on the side of a mountain yeah. and helps them down, and that's like they're 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 only one uh, in the snow. They only see their footprints. There's not another set of foot footprints, and it's like, is that this? higher self you know this this daemon this oversoul that's manifesting it's breaking the rules yes and then direct directly intervening and helping you right it, it used a cheat code yes yeah, has a game genie <laughs> it's going okay he's gonna die and he's not supposed to die yet oh, i'm gonna have to do something yeah yeah I, but you know what it, i know that sounds wild but it's probably it, it. It all probably is something like that, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just all we have are analogies to things we know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and like the more I look at it, the more I, I always go back to that video game analogy. It really is like a video game. I mean, you and, can you can take it apart, like with reincarnation. You can say, you know, you can say, okay, ever you have all these lives that happen at once. We don't experience it that way because we're in the system. 
But if you're outside the system, you could be playing multiple characters in a game and just jump back and forth between them. And those characters don't know you're doing that. They don't know know any. There's been any break in the gameplay. Um, and also there's there's the um, oh, what was the other thing with the video games? I just lost it. Yay, yay for my brain. Well, I was thinking you just made me think of this though that that idea of like while you're while you're in the game, obviously you don't realize that you're playing the game. Yeah. But then when you die, right? Um, and then you have to start a new character for that brief instant while you're selecting your next character to, to play to continue playing the game you're able to re- to remember that you've played six other characters yeah yeah and then when you go back into the game and choose the new character you forget you know that you that you that you're playing a game again um but it's like those those times in between while you're in the selection process you're able to know oh man i keep dying at the same spot yeah you know the well and i also the other thing i was going to say is that if you take that game and you look at the the like whatever the code is stored on everything is there you know the entire story is right there in your hand at one time but you can't experience it like that you have to experience it by running through it sequentially Mm -hmm. yep so it's like a so a that, side scroller, you know, and that could be how reality works. We, it's all there, all the possible choices we can make, and all of that, and we're just there to figure out what the best path through is. And maybe in the end, we're there also to create new paths, get outside the programming. Yeah, well, you know, the newer games too. They prompt this this uh, idea or this thought of, um, you know, procedurally generated content so it's like that part of the world that you're exploring didn't exist until you explored it oh yeah and then yeah you know and 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 your exploring of it dictates what it is yeah yeah Um, way 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 back on the uh yeah it had to be the commodore 64 there was a game that was called like seven cities of gold or something like that mm -hmm. where you could you were an explorer going into like the new world and you could either have it be like actual America or you could have the game generate random uh, structure, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you did the random one, you didn't know what was there. And as you got there, it then created that. And now that was, you know, that would be the structure that remained the rest of the game. Oh, that's fascinating. So it, until you observed it, until you went and explored it, it didn't have a particular structure. And then the game said, okay, this is what's here. That's kind of what how Minecraft is. Is it okay? Yeah, I've never played Minecraft. Yeah, it, it's uh, my my daughter's been uh, getting heavily into Minecraft. She's seven, and and so I've been playing. It's been interesting playing that game with her and seeing how large portions of that game are procedurally generated. But it's like once observed, and and the uh, the computer system is forced to generate probably a random uh, sort of landscape. Uh, once it's generated and observed, then it's permanent. And yeah, it's exactly it's exactly that. And you know, I, I don't think that reality necessarily is procedurally generated. But be. what do you think? I think very well could be. Yeah, I mean, very well could. Be. That's what I was going to say. Is just that I, I'm not a solipsist in the sense that I think I'm creating other people or anything like that. You oh, know, right, I think right. All, you know, all we're all independent entities, but. Um, but I, but yes, I do think that 
like that's what we talked about the last time. You know, there are just too many weird little things where it's like that is that seems too perfect that it almost only exists for me. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and definitely though that those parts of it, it's like it could be. It's probably procedurally generated, but it involves feedback. Like you have to give information to the system, and then the system uses that information to tailor reality yeah. Yeah. a little bit. And and I think people who are more in sync with that probably create reality more so than the people who aren't in sync with that. Yes. Like there, yeah. there, there, there's yeah. a common reality we certainly all share, but we also all have our own independent realities. Because when you think about it, every single one of us views reality differently. Like, because we've had different experiences, we've experienced different emotions, we've, every single one of us. So none of us see it exactly the same way, and certain things that mean something to one person don't mean a damn thing to another. Yeah, 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 especially in terms of, like, symbolism and, uh, um, yeah, and art, you know, yeah. Well, I love thinking about this and thinking about it in terms of Wikipedia, and and this idea that you, you want to believe that Wikipedia is um, created by m- millions of people, mil- millions of editors, and everyone is helping to find truth, right. right? But they're not, and it turns out that you know eighty percent of the articles are really only edited by five percent of the users. Yeah, you know there there are millions of users, but there really are only Five percent of all of those, or not millions, but they're probably hundreds of thousands of editors or people that have you know registered to edit. But really, only five percent of those people are um, what would be called super users. Yes, right. Yep. And so those super users, in it to absolutely dictate what's real, what's yes. reality. Because when you think about it, the the way that Pittsburgh is spelled, right? There's there's a controversy in, uh, on the article Pittsburgh really? of whether or not it ends with a G or an H. And if you were to look at it at any point in the day, it may switch because oh. there's a constant uh, wiki war being fought, uh, an edit war, nonstop by various editors who are trying to assert their view of reality. So I may go look at it at 11.10 and and it'll say you know Pittsburgh with no H, but then if I go back at two thirty, it could have an H. And what, so, what do maps th- say? Oh, I'm not sure. And I'm <laughs> sure there's a reason why these guys, even if the maps say that, they're probably citing things from you know two hundred years ago or whatever. Um, but there are but there's actually a Wikipedia page about the wiki wars of certain articles that constantly change <laughs> moment to moment. And and so, but I think that's an an incredible metaphor for reality because there are probably super users in you know that that are here amongst us, and their opinions on how the world exists or should be perceived affects millions of other people's perceptions of the world, and um, and that's in that's not in a paranormal sense, right? That's just in a in a cultural sense, yes. especially in, yeah. in the age of, of you know, social media. So, um, so according to Waze, it's spelled with an H at the end. Okay, yeah. So, But apparently it switches back and forth. There's, 
that I'll, I'm going to send you a link when we get off here for that page, but, but or that article about those various uh, sub pages of, uh, of of Wikipedia, because just to think about that, I'm like, just throughout the day, that that entry is slightly changing, right? It's in flux, and so like whenever you you know we we agree upon almost everything, right, about a subject, but there's still these tiny little fluctuations. That are constantly happening, these little tiny edits. And that I think that is what is happening with reality too, you know? Yeah. The um of course the other problem with Wikipedia is they seem to have an agenda. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um what was I I was looking at the the I was doing some research on uh, Mormons, and I didn't realize that certain subjects in Wikipedia actually have a designation at the top and it tells you that you're reading about Mormonism, which may be an invented thing. So it's it's like if you're reading it and you're Mormon, what you're reading is considered true. But if you're not a Mormon, this may just all be made up. Right. Huh. But I hadn't come across a Wikipedia page that at the top basically said you know, if you subscribe to this, it may be true. If you don't subscribe to this, this may be fantasy. And I thought, man, what's what does that say about the nature of knowledge? Well, also they 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 take a very uh, low view of the paranormal. Yes, <laughs> and it's not necessarily an honest view. Like the Pittsburgh thing could easily say some people think it's spelled with an h some people say it's spelled with a g and it's not settled that could be you know yeah yeah but they have to but go in there and be that. right you know yeah 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 and that's crazy <laughs> i did not know about that yeah i wish i could think of the other there there were like 30 or 40 you know entry sub entries on wikipedia that all had these um crazy crazy wiki wars going on and and there were like hundreds of people constantly involved in um, changing, you know, what, 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 how the article read. And, you know, I wouldn't have known about a lot of this stuff, um, except, you know, Darian West, my, my research partner, um, and the co-producer on, on Penny Royal, we were trying to find information about James Shelby Downard, um, the, the conspiracy theorist I was talking about and whether or not, you know, Michael Hoffman, uh, who's a controversial, uh, author, conspiracy theorist, um, he wrote this book on, you know, like psychological warfare um, stuff. And um, William Grimstead, who, you know, wrote The Rebirth of Pan as as Jim Brandon. We were we were looking at that stuff and and we had found um like I, I never thought about looking at the edits to a Wikipedia page. But Darium very much was like, let's start looking at who's changing and and, and manipulating these things. And when you look at that you could definitely see a lot of agendas, you know, yeah. and, then, and then those agendas gave away certain people, right? Because they look like an anonymous user or they're using, you know, the, the, in the example in the second season, you know, we find this Lynchian guy and he's only ever edited uh, Michael Hoffman's page, uh, uh, the Downard page, and then uh, this writer named Harry Cruz who strangely sounds exactly like Downard. <laughs> and um, so then we were like, is it possible that this guy's in on it? And then when you look at the the edits to the Hoffman page, you realize 
that he's referencing this Lynchian is referencing uh, messages from Google where they're rejecting Michael Hoffman's public. They're censoring him, right? Mm. Because he's he's saying some some pretty some pretty inflammatory stuff. Right. Right. Well, the the only way that he would ha- be able to copy and paste the response from Google is if he received it himself. Right. Right. It had to be Michael Hoffman who was lynching, <laughs> you know, and, but it was great. You know, it was just one of those things where I hadn't thought to look at the underlying edits. I hadn't thought to look at the actual editors and because you can look at the editors and see what other articles they've edited. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so some of these people, you know, we even figured out that one of them definitely was, uh, Richard Spence, right? That that wrote the uh, Secret Agent Six Six Six, and uh, oh right, wrote, yeah. you know, with Walter Bosley did the uh, Empire of the Will, the first book. Well, you know, he's a huge downward researcher, and he's really the first person to to put out sort of a scholarly article. Or not, it was in Paranoia Magazine, but I'm just saying it was very heavily cited, and he had very much investigated. And I think it's called. Um, um, finding or searching for James Shelby Downard. And so we could see that he was editing the Downard page heavily, but then he was editing hundreds of history pages because he's a history professor, right? Mm, okay. And, and it was like, this is definitely Spence. And uh, so, I, you know, those kinds of things, looking at looking at the underlying wiki wars, the the things we're talking about with like Pittsburgh, Instead of say two or three hundred edits, there are thirty thousand edits, and there and every day there's another you know two hundred ed, you know edits that are added to it. So things are just constantly in flux, and things that you just accept as true, like like Pittsburgh, right? If if we went and looked at that, we would see literally tens of thousands of edits to that page. That's Why crazy, right? You know, like it, it, surely somewhere in there. There's concrete truth, but it's like truth is always shifting. Yes. Yeah. And who's so invested that they have that much time to continue <laughs> editing that? Like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the things like, but, but they're shaping, they may not think it, and they're probably not motive, motivated by this directly, but you know, in many ways they really are shaping how the world is seen and what, what truth is because people today, I know I do it. Whenever I'm looking something up or we have a question or there's a, something comes up in a conversation, I Google it, and the first thing you see is the Wikipedia entry yeah, on it, yeah. right? And so depending on how that's been edited, then I'm going to say, see, right here it says this. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's just that at that moment, the edits have sort of sifted into that or coalesced into that, you know? Yes, um, yeah. So I, I don't know. T- see, to me, that kind of stuff, looking at the paranormal and looking at these mysteries with that kind of angle to it, right? Because I, I do think that a lot of things in the world are analog, right? That that there's the thing, but then there's that thing sort of reproduced in another system or in another way. And so, um, yeah, I just think... The way that data works and information systems and cybernetics, if we really think about things in those terms, we can reframe sort of our concepts of the paranormal or reality or, you know, spirituality. The um, the other thing I was thinking when you were mentioning Minecraft 
is that there are people who have hacked Minecraft in ways like not not going in and changing the code, but found little little you know things that work, and have done things with Minecraft that have never been planned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I think that's kind of the goal of reality. Like we're looking for those 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 ways to hack it in a way. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny that we're talking about Minecraft too, because um, I just saw an article today about a library that's been created on one of the largest shared servers of Minecraft. And that library, people have collectively worked together to put um, all of these books and articles and uh, specific uh, pieces of content that have been censored in other countries with heavier, heavier censorship laws, especially in China, right? And so... What they've done is aggregate all of those censored pieces of data and books and knowledge and put them in this library so that when someone in China or in some, you know, uh, in Afghanistan or some regime area, they're able to just look like they're playing Minecraft, but then they're able to sneak inside this library and read banned literature. That is awesome. Isn't that crazy? Ah, see, and that's the good part of the internet. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so what what are some of your personal synchronicities that that you've had? Oh man! Like, what would be uh, some of the bigger ones that you've experienced? So, well, there's a lot of like really personal ones, um, um, but the the big ones, definitely the Alexander Katerma stuff, was uh, one of the biggest synchronicities just in terms of how it all lined up how we found it um well you know here's a strange thing (laughs) that's a that's a synchronicity that i don't know a lot of people know but like uh with all the hellier stuff you know um the you know it was weird how our the investigation that was doing with penny royal intersected with you know um, greg and dana newkirk and the hellier crew um, and they they had received information from this woman, um, and um, her first name was Amy. You know, I, I won't say what her last name was, but but after I'd spoken to Greg, we had um, he he didn't tell me her last name. You know, at the time he just said uh, he, he let me ask what her first name was, and, and and told me. And so then we set about trying to figure out who it was because this was the woman that contacted them and said, there is a cult down here and you've got to come down here and all this crazy stuff's happening. And so, um, um, whenever we looked it up after they left, we were able to figure out what her last name was. Well, the thing that was so crazy is that her name, her first name and last name are the same as my wife's first name and last name. And they grew up on the same road, right? Wow. Yeah, and so um, that was that was really strange, and it was just one of those funny things where you know early on when we moved back, you know, my wife's from here. When we, when we moved down here, there were all these like cold checks at the dollar store in these different places that had her name on it, and I was like, "Look, you can't buy things here," you know, jokingly, <laughs> and uh, and then later, sure enough, you know, ten years later, um, you know, I'm investigating all this weird stuff, and then. Um, you know, Greg and Dana and, and those folks end up coming down here because this woman has contacted them, and sure enough, that woman's name matches, you know, my wife's name. 
And so that that definitely was one of those those things that even when I told them that, you know, when I told uh, Greg and Dana and, and the whole crew, they were blown away because they were like, that's too strange, you yeah. know. Um, that's one of the, the bigger, like, personal ones. Um, recently, we found out a bunch of other things that I, that probably will end up making it into the third season. It, there's always... <laughs> It's always weighing this, this like how much of the personal synchronicities do you reveal, you know, um, just just because you you know, it's got to be somewhat separation, you know, between what's happening here and and and, and people, you know, ex- expressing the the mystery to people, um, but definitely that uh, that was one of the the biggest ones where it's like it feels like the universe is kind of playing a practical joke yes right yeah um and and so it's there have been a lot of things like that that in very personal ways i'm like is someone messing with me right is 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 there's something here that um you know and think about the the whole fact that 111 right that that this is uh you know this town again i don't think Freemasons are, you know, trying to rule the world or anything like that. But this town, Somerset, is a Freemason town. It was built by Freemasons. Um, it's very clearly in the history. You know, it's all you can look all this stuff up. The first bank was uh, funded from the National Freemasons Fund. Um, the bankers were all Freemasons. The town's laid out based off the the uh, keystone of the lodge that's downtown. And then we also had a, a Freemasonic college here, I think one of like six in the country. And um, so, you know, the identity of the town is is heavily entwined with that. And so it was Lodge 111, which is, you know, one of the older lodges in, in the U.S. And, you know, there was uh, um, the sheriff that, that was assassinated, Sammy Catron, right? Um, he took on – he was also a Freemason in the lodge. And he went by the the number uh, 111, right? That was his patrol number. He also flew a helicopter everywhere. And uh, the side of his helicopter had a 111 on it. And, and, and of course, he was assassinated at this fish fry. And that, that had always sort of rang strange to me. Uh, there were a lot of undertones of, of, of killing of the king sort of uh, ritual. His father was also assassinated, and he was the chief of police, right? And, you know, like, there are weird things like that, but it, this was another strange one. So so knowing all of that, and then knowing that um, in uh, Kabbalah and Gematria that uh, 111, and also in Freemasonry, uh, 111 is a left, a left, a left, right? And so it's the three pillars, and it's seen, um, or it's, it, 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 it's translated as guardian of the gate, right? And so that was also strange because it's like Lodge 111, guardian of the gate, and then this is right on top of the Kentucky anomaly, right? This massive spike of geomagnetic energy. And so it's like, you know, is this place here specifically because there's a gate here? Um, but, you know, again, those are sort of flights of fancy, right? But knowing all of those things, having researched all of those things, we were standing outside my studio that's above uh, Jarfly Brewing, and we were out in the alleyway, and this guy had come from Chicago. He had seen Hellier. Um, Penny Royal wasn't out yet. We hadn't really disclosed a lot of our uh, research. And the guy comes down, and, and he's asking me about where 
the underground UFO base is. And I'm like, dude, there's there's no underground UFO base. And he's like, I know there is, and I know you know where it's at. And I was like, I'm telling you, it's not. There's not one. But you know, he says, you're a disinformation agent. Of course. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, there's nothing to disinform you of. You know, I mean, th- you know, this is crazy. So he and I were talking. I was being, you know, really nice about everything and respectful and listening to the, you know, his theories and stories. And I said, listen, you know. Um, I'll hit you up on online, you know, we'll talk some more. Um, what, you know, what's your username or, you know, you're on Reddit all the time, you know, I'll, I'll hit you on there. And he says, my username is Mr. 111. Hmm. And I was like, what? And everyone's standing there with me. And Darian was there and Kyle that runs the museum here. And uh, they both were like, what? Say that again? He said, yeah, I'm Mr. 111. And he opens his shirt up and he's got this giant medallion hanging around his neck that says 111 and he had been using Mr. 111 as his username for like 15 years huh. and, I, and I said do you know that the Freemason Lodge behind you is Lodge 111 and he was like what and I was like yeah you know we went and then I explained the whole thing to him and that was another one of those weird moments where it's like you know it could all just be coincidence but that it felt like a heavy moment, you know. Did you ask him why it was one eleven for him? He he just said that he had chosen that. I mean, he had been in various. Um, he was an OTO member, right? Okay, and um, and and was involved in a few other groups. Um, I've always thought that he did it because of the whole left, left, left thing. I didn't ask him after that. I was I was honestly in shock at that moment, right? You know? <laughs> but uh, um, I, I assume it had some type of occult undertones. But he was adamant because I was like, "Did you just create this? You know, is this a new thing?" And and he was adamant that he had had it for more than fifteen years. And then you look on Reddit, you know, I checked it out, and he really had been on there forever, and had been using Mister One Eleven. So you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, the, it just things like oh, oh, this was crazy too, dude. Right? I was uh, I was upstairs recording part of the show when I was act, act, working on the production of season one. And um, again, um, you know, uh, Hellier referenced that, that this woman that contacted them, who has the same name as my wife, right? Um, uh, so she is in the penitentiary here in uh, Somerset. Um, uh, PCC, Pulaski Correctional, or uh, Pulaski. Pulaski Communicator, or anyway, it's the correctional facility. I forget what the right. acronym is, but um, um, uh, so she's there. She's locked up. A PCDC, that's what it is, the detention center, a Pulaski County detention center, and um, so she was in there. And even in Hellier, they when they talk to her, she's in in jail, right? And uh, I was upstairs. I was working on production, first season. I came downstairs from my studio into the bar. And it was empty, except for this one guy. And I sat down with him. I knew him. Uh, he's a local attorney, like a young attorney that had been stationed here uh, to work with the county attorney's office, right? It was kind of like a government position. He was going to move on in a year to somewhere else. And we were sitting there, and I was talking to him. And he was like, what are you doing? I told him, you know, I'm, I was upstairs you know, producing this podcast. And I like told him a little bit about it. You know, He's like, well, what's it about? And so I mentioned this Amy character, right, that had contacted them and said her last name. And he was like, 
oh, I represented her in that case. <laughs> of what, right? And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I was her attorney. And I like tell him some more of this stuff. Of course, he was like, well, I wish I'd known all this. I could have gotten her off on a, you know, <laughs> you know, on on you know maybe some delusional stuff, you know. Um, and, but I was, you know, we were just talking about it, and he he just said, yeah, you know, I I had represented her. So the whole time that we're talking, the bar, and this is like a you know a Tuesday night, you know, so it was, it, it's always dead, you know, unless it's the weekend. And so, like, slowly, the bar is filling up with all of these people. And I'm looking around, like, what is going on? So, I, uh, he and I are talking about it, and he says, I think they're, um, they look like they're correctional officers. And I'm like, do you know some of them? He said, no, but they've just got the build. They, it just looks like that. So, finally, I walked up to somebody, and I was like, what are you, you know, what's going on tonight? You know, what's happening? And they were like, this is the PCDC Christmas party. And so like all like we were having the conversation about her in prison that he had represented her. I was upstairs working on the show on part of it about her. And then as we're talking, the the actual people from that correctional facility come into the bar and have their <laughs> Christmas party. Right? And and again, it's like little things, not little things, big things even, but things like that that just it fills. There's a playfulness to it, right? But there's also a, a weird, not danger. There's almost a, it's like it's playfully sinister, you know. The uh, there is what is the saying? If you hear a new word, you're likely to hear that word again, uh, like within like numerous times within the next few days. Oh, really? Is that a thing? Yeah, I'm just looking it up. Um, so it says science knows why. You know how when you hear and learn a new word, you see it everywhere? Science knows why. Let's 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 see what science thinks it knows here. Um, comes down to your brain playing tricks on you. I figured that's what they were going to say. The Batter-Meinhof phenomena is actually a term for frequency illusion, a type of cognitive bias that your mind creates. To understand this, you need to know a little bit about cognitive bias as a whole. Um, I guess it's true. It's like when you buy a new car, when you buy a particular model of that, you know, <laughs> particular you're gonna, car. You're going to notice. Yeah, then you start to see that car everywhere on the road, you know. But there are also times where you hear a new word that's really archaic or weird that is not a common word by any means. Yes. And then yeah. it pops up. And then you're going... Okay, that's odd. Yeah. See, that, to, to me, those are the feedback loops, right? That's the second-order cybernetic quality of all of this. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, the stuff that the, – the synchronicities of, like, the lady having the same name as my wife or, you know, the being in the bar when all of that stuff sort of synced up, those things I think are – you know, those are are way less common, you know, yes. in terms, yeah. Of, you know, I, I guess that's the thing too about all of this. It's just so, it's only weird. I mean, it's weird in general, but it's particularly weird to me because of the personal connection to it. Um, oh yeah, and, and and I guess that's what it's it's been. It's been, you know that's what Penny Royal has been is me trying to understand some you know some of this and like why it functions this way. Um. Because I, I I don't think that it's um I don't think that there's um you know like a arch demon 
thing that is observing all of the pieces on the table no. and orchestrating things, right? It's 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 way more, I don't know, like a, a more general kind of interaction. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, that's what's... It's what's so fun about exploring this and also what's so frustrating is that it's so hard to categorize and, and it's hard to find, you know, when I talk to Dan Dutton about this a lot, you know, he frequently says, you know, we have to invent, there's no language that exists to talk about this. Yeah, and in, in yeah. many ways we have to invent that language and to even understand the phenomena because right now we really don't have a great way of, describing it or being able to communicate it to each other. Yeah, very true. Um, sometimes, oh, uh, the personal aspect. I mean, a lot of this paranormal stuff, not just synchronicities, but so much of it has a very personal effect. And so, you know, when people say, well, why don't UFOs land on the, 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 the White House lawn? It's like the list of reasons why is, is pretty long. But the most obvious one is it's not about you know, the government, it's not about the, the, the society as a mass. It's a very personal experience when people have these experiences, you know, it means something to them. It, it, it goes back to Jeffrey Kripal's thing about the, the, this stuff happens for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's the, the power in this is that right. The, the personal nature of it is what makes it, I think, so powerful. And it's very dreamlike at times, too. That's the other thing. So it's, it's because it's a symbolic language, and the dream language is also a symbolic language. Um, you know, some of this high strangeness stuff comes across like something you'd experience in a dream. Man, I had this uh, really, really... It didn't make it into the show. I ended up cutting it out. It's it's available as part of the extended audio, like on, the, on our Patreon. Um, but the, there was... Um, a story I tell about um, I'm having a discuss. I had a discussion with um, Ren Collier about uh, dreaming, right, mm -hmm. and uh, lucid dreaming because he's done a lot of research and done a lot of lucid dreaming himself. And we were just talking about dream time and things. And I had this really weird sort of I don't want to say spiritual experience, but weird moment where I'd had this reoccurring dream for years where I was. Uh, in the dream, I'm approaching this, it's a, a vast green plain, right? And uh, it's like scrubland, kind of. And uh, it's not really grassy, but, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's wide and flat. And there's this mound, this single mound that comes up out of the earth. And so I'm walking toward it. And, and as I get closer to it, there's this uh, shack that's, just sitting here in this sort of like desert scrub area and it's corrugated uh, tin, you know, shack. And so I go inside and it's like a little bar and there are all these people waiting and, um, I, and I'm watching and then on the horizon toward this mound um, are these two really weathered uh, folding lawn chairs right? They're like camping chairs. And there was this discussion that whenever anyone here, you know, these people are waiting to, to move on to the, to the unknown, it was that they, they would go and they would sit 
in those chairs. But once you left the shack and sat in the chairs, you couldn't come back. You could stay in those chairs as long as you wanted, right? But you you couldn't come back. But when you were ready, they would just walk on. They would get up out of the chair, walk toward the mound, and then walk around the edge of the mound, and then they would never come back, right? It was that they were venturing into the unknown. And I had this dream reoccurring hundreds of times, right? And in, in my 20s, and I was like, man, what in the world? This is the strangest thing. And I wasn't, you know, I was researching a lot of stuff, but I wasn't this heavily into the esoteric research. But I'd always thought, man, that is such a crazy dream. And so while I was working on Pennyroyal, I was researching uh, dream lines, right? And, and as roads, right? And these aboriginal sort of, of dreaming roads. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I was looking at that. And then I, I sp- open up this article, and there it is, man. This this mound, right? It was exactly what I'd seen in the dream. This mound rising up out of this like desert-like flatness, this scrub area, and it was in Australia, and it was Ayers Rock. It was Uluru, okay? Mm. This this thing called Uluru, and it's one of the spiritual centers of the Aboriginal cultures in Australia, and I'm reading it. And it says, this is the intersection point of all of the dream lines and all of the dreaming, and that all dreamers at one point in their life must come through Uluru. Okay? And so then I was like, did I, is that what this was, you know? And and since then, you know, it, it was such a weird moment of seeing the image an image of something I didn't think existed that was only something that could exist in a dream. Yeah. And then to see that it existed in real life, but also to see that it was connected to dreaming, yeah. which just blew me away, you know? And so that was another one of those, like, it's not so much a synchronicity is, but it was a, a weirdly spiritual moment, you know, to, yeah, to see that's, that. That's freaking awesome. Honestly. So I've, I've wanted to talk, I'm dying to talk to someone in Australia about, you know, I, I couldn't fit that in. I ended up cutting that out of the second season just for time. But like I said, I've got the uh, extended audio that that has that. It's like an eighteen minute story about that. But um, but that to me was a really special experience. And and again, it's like it all feels like a journey, and it all feels like being on a road of some sort. Because you know, that's that's a dream I had when I was you know twenty years old and through my twenties. You know, I'm forty two yeah. now, right? And so it's like. 20 years ago was this stuff all set in motion, you know, was I ultimately, you know, I was only researching that because of my research into Pennyroyal and to occult roads. So it's like without Pennyroyal, I may have never discovered that. And Um, there have been a number of things in my life that feel like they've been set up since early in my life. Yeah. You know, precognitive dreams, things like that, other weird connections that make sense now, but like they they could not have been random events. Yeah. Also, yeah. also it, your dream sort of connects. It's sort of the ending of Lost. <laughs> it's been forever since I've seen Lost. Is that is that oh, when they're like are they in a church? Are they well, church? it's 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 yeah, it's like a church type of thing, but it's the same concept that they're they're in, and I and I'm pretty sure it was inspired by the Seth material to some degree. Oh, uh, but they're see, but they're in this this other universe which is kind of like where they're dealing with everything and waiting and then finally that when they're ready they can move on 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people it's, hated it, but I looked at it and went, that was awesome because I understood what they were trying to say with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved Lost. I thought it was great. Definitely the ending, you know, was, I remember at the time was controversial. That's another one of those shows I need to go back and watch because I was, t- I tuned into that every week. It was a, you know, and friends would come over and watch it. Oh, you yeah. Know, sort of like a, a, a great communal thing that I don't think exists as much anymore because of streaming. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'll have to see the Seth material too. Man, I've got to, I'm, I've not really read a ton of the Seth stuff. Uh, the guys, some of the guys that research with me are heavy into it. Mm. Um, and um, some friends are, but I've never, you know, I'm so suspicious of channeled material. So am I. You know? That's the thing. Seth is one of the only ones that I will give any credence to because it's very detailed. It's very skeptical of itself. Uh, it seems very down to earth and the practices work. Yeah. So no yeah. matter where it's coming from, because Jane Roberts herself said she didn't know, you know, it could just be part of her unconscious or whatever. The data was at least in part useful. Yeah. Yeah. Most channeling, I don't, I've gotten a little more, you know, open-minded toward channeling, but still Seth is the only one where I'm like, okay, the Seth material is impressive. Mm. Now I've got to, I've got to get into it and see, um, and read more of it. There's the raw stuff. We talked about that last time too. Yeah. And that stuff's not impressive. Yeah, no, no. And some of that stuff feels, even some of the um, the Edgar Casey stuff seems a little, I, I, I believe it, you know, but um, I don't know. Sometimes yeah. you just wonder if, if, if some of it isn't being channeled from a, a reliable source. Right, I yes. Guess I'll yeah. say, you know. Um, did, I mean, don't you think that it's weird that Edgar Casey? Is from Hopkinsville, where the whole little green men thing started. You that's know, right. the Hopkinsville goblins. You know, like that's an odd thing, and and uh, that's always struck me as a weird. I don't know. Um, oh, have, have you ever heard the story? This is one of my favorite stories of uh, of people receiving messages. Have you have you heard the story about Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and know. the the you know the the project to build. Oak Ridge, Oak Ridge was where they they built the nuclear bomb, right? Okay, and so um, it was a top secret project. Well, I think it was in 1840 or 1839, 1840, something like that. Um, this farmer who lived in in northern Tennessee, where this is, uh, he had this huge farm, and he was out on his farm, and this he said this beam of light hit him. Right, and it knocked him out or knocked him down on the ground, and he saw all around him this vast city uh, th- that was on his farm, like all around him. There's all these people. They were dressed strange. They were moving around, and then he saw this gigantic, what he called mushroom, grow up from the earth. Right, and so um, he go he. He wakes up from this experience, you know, where he says this beam of, of energy or beam of light came down from the sky and hit him and gave him this vision. He goes to town and he tells everybody, right? And from that point on for the rest of his life, he was treated as a nut job. Of course. But the thing that's that, – yeah, right, of course, they're like, oh, you're crazy, crazy old farmer. The thing that's amazing about this story is that the newspaper recorded 
that whole thing of him telling like they recorded the vision they recorded what he said and then they made fun of him in mm-hmm. the newspaper right well a hundred years right later that dude's farm is where they built this secret city of oak ridge that oh. only was built to house all of the people working on the atomic bomb damn and it's in Oak Ridge's museum, right, in Tennessee, where they have a, the museum about building the bomb and all this stuff. They have that newspaper article. And to me, that's, you know, incontrovertible truth, you know, proof. Yeah, yeah. That, that there is something to all of this. There's something to the nature of reality that is. Um, and, and people don't tout that. You know, they're, they're, but it's verified. It's, the government even accepts that that happened. Of oh, course, yeah. people are like, well, he didn't see this, but it sounds like that's what he saw, you know? <laughs> right. He may not have seen it exactly how it was because it was being filtered, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing with channeling, too, is that, you know, Seth would always say, you're not getting what's, what his he's saying. You're getting what he's saying channeled and filtered through Jane. Mm-hmm. And and Jane's the extent to which Jane can communicate, with right? Words. And plus, mm-hmm. it would have Jane's biases and stuff like that into it too. Also, what yeah. impressed me about Seth is he never claimed to be omniscient in any way. Mm-hmm. He's like what some was- st- some stuff I just don't know. But I mean, one of the things that impressed me is when he said that they asked about extra, you know, UFOs, and he said, um, "They're they're." Those are actually consciousnesses from another reality, so basically interdimensional. Mm-hmm. And that so, he was kind of surprised we could see them. That's interesting. Well, so what was Seth? What did Seth purport to be? Uh, just like the oversoul of Jane and a few other people. Okay. Huh. That's. And where did the name Seth come from? I was forget. Just, yeah. I'll, I've got to dive into that, man. That's so fascinating to me, especially if there's there are elements of it that that are sort of way more concrete than other uh, other channelings. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I was so used to seeing channeling works that was just mumbo-jumbo and unverifiable stuff, but here was Seth with a lot of detail, you know, a lot of you know, specific sort of things, and it's like, huh, all right. Well, one of the interesting things to me about channeling, too, is, and, and Darian and I, my research partner, have talked about this a lot, the, st- the staccato nature, like when you watch filmed channeling sessions, right? Yeah. Um, or if you listen to the the raw stuff, or well, there's lots of stuff, and I think the probably the Seth stuff is the same way. There's a, a st- staccato delivery of yes. it. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, like someone being puppeted. Yes, it's like da 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 da. da you know, and there's like a cadence to the oh, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that makes me think that there is a passage of information, right? It feels like. Um, uh, you know that's why it's called channeling, obviously. But it feels like there is a a conduit, you know, a a, a, a circuit sort of built. You know, and Darian he's he proposed at one point that um, some of this information is looking for the most. It's it's Shannon entropy. You know, it's this whole idea of you know information theory that information is always looking for the most efficient channel to mm. express itself. Right to output itself. Yeah, and so um, you know, and I've wondered that with like the Penny Royal stuff. Right? Did 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 these things sort of come to us in in this configuration because we were 
at, in the right place at the right time in such a configuration that it was the most efficient channel for it. But were other people also interacting with something, the same thing maybe, but they weren't at the right time? You know, they, just they weren't weren't as efficient as this was as a channel for it to express itself. Right, yes, yeah. And, and I mean, we're also assuming that anything that's being channeled is going to be completely true and not is not going to lie or just make stuff up. Yeah, because if it's just information, it doesn't have to be true or not true. Exactly. It's just information, <laughs> right? And so so it's, it's like, you know, we're the ones labeling that it's a lie, right? Yeah. When right, it's just, right. It's just data. That's like saying the output of a computer is a lie. It's lying to you. <laughs> it can't lie to you, right? It's just trying to pass information out. I, I don't know. I suspect some computers have lied to me. I do too. I think so. Also, I don't, you know, I don't trust these these things. <laughs> you, you get something, and you're going, "No, that's wrong," and it's like, "No, it's not." It's like, "No, it's wrong." <laughs> what are you doing? It's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, that's so. One of the the I still have a list of stuff I wanted to talk to you about. Let's talk about randomness, though, for the last few minutes here. Because I, I don't remember if we talked. I don't think we talked about it last week. We might have mentioned it in the Patreon segment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, but, so, but I love talking about randomness. But the, but the random number generator stuff just blows my mind because, yeah, we definitely talked about it at some point because it's it's like points of cohesion where things become less random. Yes, yeah, yeah. The the whole pair random generator random number generator project to me is verifiable evidence that there are effects on reality. If anything, it proves to me that, that magic is, is possibly real. Yes. Right? Well, it, yeah, because consciousness affects randomness. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which and, we already and, know from psi research. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and definitely with this idea that an event is going to happen and then 24 hours before this global, globally traumatic event or um, just this, this event that all, everyone as observers will observe, um, that the randomness drops, right? The, because in order for us to know that reality is functioning correctly, it needs to be completely random, right? right? You know, it's just it's just a sea of, it's like static electricity or static on a TV, right? It's just got to all be random. And then it's like when a picture forms, when it's less random, uh, then you know that something is is it's it's becoming more deterministic, right? And and so something is influencing it. Definitely, when we you know talk about like the the will of a magician, you know, who's and especially like we I think we talked about this the chaos magicians and how they're stacking you know uh, uh, synchronicities to cause an effect, right? Right. And they're imposing their will. So if that is true. Then, if you had a random number generator in the vicinity of that magician while they're imposing their will on reality, you should see a drop in randomness. I think the same is true if someone were communicating with a disembodied intelligence or a non-human intelligence. Any of these things that are, um, you know, would have an effect on reality, especially synchronicities too. There would be a definable and discernible decrease in what's called Shannon entropy. You know, we'd be able to see that randomness drop. And then, then you know, we've developed devices ourselves um, to, to try to track that. You know, and I think, I would love for some ghost investigators, paranormal investigators, 
um, even Bigfoot hunters, to take these devices with them, right? And then just leave them running. And if they have an encounter, let's look at the data and see if there's a correlation between an encounter with high strangeness, you know, if there, or even with like a UFO, you know, can't, can't really know when a UFO is going to appear to somebody, I guess. No, you know? not generally. But, but, but definitely going into a haunted, you know, what, what's perceived to be a haunted house or a haunted location or a portal area or where people cite things. It just, if you had something tracking the randomness in that area, you know, if, if you, if you did encounter something, I truly believe, and it's, it's my theory is that, that randomness will decrease, that you'll see an effect, a deterministic effect on reality when you encounter the other. Well, and that, and that is synchronicity in a sense, because synchronicity is that lack of randomness. Mm-hmm. You know, these things shouldn't happen. They're, 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 they're an effect. They're a result of randomness becoming less. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I put this in the, the final episode of, uh, of the show, but the, that whole idea of Magnolia, the film, you know, Paul I Thomas love that movie. I love it too, man. And and the way that they open it up with all of these sort of Fordian phenomena, right? That, yeah. Uh, the rain of frogs or the woman who... Well, don't they, they end with the rain of frogs, don't they? Yeah, they end with the rain of frogs. Yeah, they open with like four or five stories of impossible coincidences, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so I I tried to open up the episode with that because it's got that great message that these things happen. Yes. Right. And and so because these things happen, it means that there's something greater at work. Right. Here, you know. And and I think that's a powerful message and and that's what Fort, you know, was looking at. You know, it's it's the damned data. Yeah. Right, that's the book is books of the damned, you know, bring the damned. It's this these things that don't fit in with the natural what's perceived to be the natural order of things. And so it's it's true. It's like, man, if we had the ability to track randomness, you know, when John Keel was experiencing all the Mothman stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Imagine yeah. what what data he might have had if we had these random number generators when the JFK assassination happened. You know, or when Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated, you know, would I, I absolutely believe we would have seen well determinism. So, so the Archduke one is very interesting because that wouldn't have necessarily been a big event. You know, like no one, I don't think anyone suspected it was going to lead to World War Two or World no, War One. No, yeah, yeah. And and think about it. I mean, the guy tr- failed the assassination. Like the assassination failed. The guy fled. Yeah. Ended up in a cafe, and then they had car trouble and drove down the wrong uh, alleyway <laughs> and pulled up beside the assassin. You know, it's like that's impo- That seems impossible, right? So, so like but, locally, I would think that would cause a lack of randomness. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, you would. There would have been a huge drop in you know in randomness um, in that moment, right when he shot him. There would have been. It would have been. And see. That's that moment where other people nearby experiencing determinism, you know, like yeah, in, in yeah, terms yeah. of ancillary effects, you know, like maybe they didn't notice it or I, I don't know. I mean, that's this is where I think that some of the research in the paranormal community needs to go. Right. This Absolutely. is the direction, you know, because I, I just think we need to 
it's an, uh, you know personal experiences are one thing, but if we can actually gather data that reinforces those personal experiences, right? Um, and and that we can, I feel like also that the the you know Kiel and and even Charles Fort, a lot of these guys were looking at this, and and Jacques Vallée too, right? They were looking at the phenomena from the perspective of gathering data and of theorizing about these things in terms of data and systems and information. And I think we've gotten away from that heavily, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, valet you know, hasn't, I, but... Yeah, yeah. When I, you know, I read some of these old... Um, oh, man, I found this great um, uh, French... It, it's a translation of a French radio program about UFOs, right? But it's but everyone that's on the show is a scientist. And um, it's the... What's his name? Um, Ami Michel. Oh, yeah, Ami Michel. He's the one that, that worked with Valet. Yes, and he believed that UFOs flew in straight lines, along ley lines. Yeah. Right? And so I was trying to find the... Because that is not something that you can find in any other literature. It's only in the French literature. But I'd found this uh, radio show had been produced as a book from 63 cost like two hundred dollars <laughs> it's one of these like super wow. rare books you know but i i wanted it because i was really digging deep into the ami michelle uh stuff right and um and but once i got the book and i started reading all of the interviews these guys that were looking at it wasn't just the ufo phenomena they were looking at the phenomena of encountering the other and looking at it from a very scientific and philosophical perspective and really trying to advance the ball. Right. Right. And I just thought, man, what a contrast to today's sort of world of social media and posting grainy videos. And you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like there's a, yeah. you know, everybody's got a ghost hunting group. Everybody wants a TV show, you know? Well, and not only that, but the problem is that if you suggest to most ghost hunters, Bigfoot hunters, etc., hey, bring a random number generator with you, I don't know how open they'll be to that because they'll be like, well, what's that going to tell us? You know, we're looking for yeah. dead people. We're looking for, for apes in the wood, you, you know. Like the ghost yeah. hunters might be a little more open to it than the Bigfoot people would be. But the problem is that they, they have a laser focus with blinders on a lot of, in a mm -hmm. lot of cases where they're yeah. not open to trying these other methods that aren't traditional to what they are, are expecting to find. I know. And then that's the key thing too, what they're expecting to find. Yeah. You know, and you know, it definitely colors things. I just think, I think in the last 60 years of researching all of this stuff or 60 plus years, um, we're not, we're not any further along than we were then. No, cause we're and, asking you know. the wrong questions. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then that's the thing. I think people have to divest themselves of asking the questions that have been asked before. And, you know, when we you know, taking something like that random number generator, yeah, it, it does seem sort of counterintuitive. It seems strange. You know, it yeah. seems strange to think of divination as looking for, <laughs> you know, like uh, you're using randomness to search for the lack of randomness. Right. Yeah. In, yeah, you know, in a way, it's like you're you're looking for the decrease of randomness in a random shuffle, and that's where you know 
it's actually deterministic. You know, yeah. something's having an effect, and uh, um, and it, I think that's that's hard for a lot of diviners or even magicians to wrap their brains around, right? Because it's it's like no, no, everything's just random. <laughs> you know, um, so I, I don't know. I just I just think these are to me. This is the exciting exciting part of all of this, and and for me too. This is what you know. This has all been produced by our investigation into Penny Royal to try to understand these experiences that we've been having, and to try to use. You know, honestly, these are these aren't new technologies to Darian and I because we've been you know using them to data mine um, and create data mining software and and things like that for clients you know when we develop um you know software applications and and mobile apps and things and so it really was sort of a natural marriage between what we were already looking at and then trying to analyze and understand you know these experiences that we were having um the other thing aside from asking better questions is also to throw out some of the assumptions Mm-hmm. You yes. know, there's so much assumed about these experiences. I mean, just in, in reality in general, even in science, a lot of things are assumed to be true, and they never go back to the beginning and go, let's double check everything and look at it with the fresh eyes. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's why I thought it was important to, that's why I was willing to spend a couple hundred bucks on a book, you know, for that was yeah. a translation yeah. of French radio programs, because I, I really wanted to go back to some of these original um, researchers, especially non-English researchers, right? You know, yes. Um, to to look at the theories because there is cultural bias. Oh yeah, and 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 you know, definitely Western cultural bias. But but when you look at European versus the U.S., um, yeah, I mean these these French uh, theorists were way way thinking about this way differently than than the U.S. theorists were, and so. Um, yeah, just yeah, absolutely. You're, you know, we we have to throw away those assumptions that 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 we've sort of you know we're standing on those things now. Yeah. So where can people find Penny Royal? Uh, yeah. So uh, Penny Royal is on all the major uh, podcast platforms and uh, you know Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we've got a website uh, www.pennyrollpodcast.com. and uh, again, I brought it up earlier the Liminal Lodge is our Patreon. Um, a lot of the audio that I cut from the first and second seasons, I mean, there are hours of additional <laughs> audio um, that are available uh, for our Patreon members. Um, and yeah, and you know, if anyone's interested in uh, helping us with the research, you know, this, the, you know, the story hasn't stopped. You know, and really, what I could fit into the first season and what I could fit in the second second season, but. Um, you know, the research is ongoing. We always are, are excited to have more people help us look at this and help us data mine all this stuff and, and try to, to understand it. And if anybody has an experience that they'd like to share with us, um, I love hearing stories and a lot of times end up finding um, some pretty inc- insane synchronicities and personal connections with uh, stories that I receive. So, um, yeah, we're always open to talking to anybody. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me again, Nathan. Oh, thanks for having me on the show, man. I love talking to you about all this stuff. So, um, and definitely third season, man, we're going to have you on, on uh, Penny Royal. So, I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons. Without you, this show wouldn't be possible. 
And I especially want to shout out to those pledging $10 or more. Allison Cook, Super Informans, 36 Dingo, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Sherry, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Crystal Ann Compton, Diane B., Duffy Doubter, Edu Camahort, Empty K., Eric Citron, Eric Todd, J. Otto Bullet. James Lattimore, Joanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Bowley, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stone Wilderness, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., and Amber Hall. Thank you all so very, very much. There is a Patreon segment to follow this. Possibly two. If you want to become a patron, wheretheroadgo.com and click on the Patreon link. It's only $3 a month. You get extra content all month long. All right, I'm going to take you out with some Eliza Rickman. And I've mentioned this before, but Eliza is dealing with very severe Lyme disease. If you want to help her out, she does have a Patreon. And I think that's also just three bucks. And uh, it helps her kind of deal with all the stuff she's dealing with now. So if you at all like her music, uh, maybe consider buying it or throwing her some Patreon money to help her out. I'm sure she would very much appreciate it. It sounds like a very awful, awful time and thing to be going through. So this is Maker of My Sorrow from Eliza Rickman. And I'll see you next time.
You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.